0: Welcome to the HashCast, a short show focused on mining Bitcoin at home, brought to you every 2016 blocks at the time of the difficulty adjustment. This is episode 373. Today is September 13th, 2022. I'm your host, Akano Alchemist. This show offers you a chance to catch up on the last two weeks of Bitcoin mining stats, news developments, home miner setups, and privacy implications. I hope you enjoy. Let's get started. Shout out to our sponsor, Upstream Data, your one-stop shop for Bitcoin mines of any scale, specializing in rugged outbuildings to house the technology needed to bring stranded energy to market through Bitcoin mining. Upstream Data has been helping capture what would have been wasted natural gas for several years with easily maintained natural gas engines that run the generators needed to power a building full of ASICs on oil and gas well sites. You can also buy ASICs from Upstream Data through their online store. I purchased my S19A Pro from them along with my black box and the setup works great in my backyard. There's no ventilation requirements, no noise to deal with. It has been an instant problem solver for me. So navigate over to shop.upstreamdata.ca and check out their online store where you can order any of their solutions, whether you're looking to spin up multiple megawatts of production or just trying to mine privately and quietly in your own backyard with the black box. Upstream Data offers something for Bitcoin mines of any scale. If you want to start making connections with and learning from Bitcoin miners with hands on experience and practical advice, jump in the Telegram channel Home Mining Wizards at t.me. Forward slash home mining wizards. If you care to make a donation, I keep a cypherpunk pay server online that serves a fresh Bitcoin address each time. Scan this QR code and it'll take you over to donate.econoalchemist.com. And there you can enter a dollar amount and donate with Bitcoin. Or if you're a Samurai Wallet or Sparrow Wallet user, you can connect with my paynim, ICSun189, and make a private Bitcoin donation using my payment code here. With that, let's jump into the state of the network. Looking at bitrar.com, difficulty just increased another 3.44%. This comes after the massive 9.26% increase last epoch, bringing total difficulty to a new all-time high of $32 The depressed price action certainly doesn't seem to be stalling miners from joining the network any longer, even though it was looking like many miners were leaving the network during June and July when there were three consecutive downward adjustments. Taking a look at hashrate with mempool.space, it's currently clearing about 228 exahash on the 14-day moving average. Overall, hash rate levels are at new all-time highs, up 13 exahash from 215 exahash two weeks ago. Likely contributing factors could be the newest generation ASICs going online after months of delayed deployments, What's M50S models clocking in at 106 terahash and Ant Miner S19 XP models clocking in at 140 terahash are likely getting plugged in by the dozens as large scale miners continue to upgrade their operations. Underground Chinese miners coming back online after the rainy season could also be a contributing factor. Let's take a look at ASIC prices with Hash Rate Index. Prices for the most efficient ASICs on the market currently appeared to be down slightly from $34 per terahash two weeks ago to $33 per terahash. That's for ASICs that have 38 joules per terahash or better efficiency. Although it should be noted that the newest generation ASICs are closer to 23 to 25 Joules per terahash efficiency and seem to be selling for approximately $57 per terahash, bringing the AmpMiner S19 XP 141 terahash models up to $8,118 each on the secondary markets. Moving on to mining insights at insights.brains.com. Hash value has plummeted to 379 sats per terahash per day, which is down 68 sats per terahash from 447 sats per terahash per day last epoch. And the hash price hovers around 8 cents per terahash per day, down from 9 cents last epoch. So if you have a 100 terahash ASIC, then it should be earning you roughly 39,234 sats per day, which is down 5,466 daily sats from 44,700 sats per day last Epoch. 39,234 sats is currently valued at $7.95, which means that if you're paying less than 10 cents per kilowatt hour for that 3,250 watt, 100 terahash ASIC, all in electricity price, then you're still making some daily profit. But if your electricity prices are over 10 cents per kilowatt hour, then you're losing a little bit in US dollar terms. The Antminer S9 is breaking even at roughly 4 cents per kilowatt hour right now, roughly the same as it was since last epoch. So if you're paying more than that for electricity, then you're operating at a loss currently, but depending on how long you've been mining with that S9, You may still be in decent shape depending on what your total dollar cost average is altogether. The top three mining pools at the moment are Foundry in first place with 24.6%, which is up two tenths of a percent from last epoch. Bitmain's Amp Pool in second place with 15.9%, which is up seven tenths of a percent. And F2 Pool in third place with 15.3%, up about two tenths of a percent since last epoch. Poolin has slipped down to sixth place from fourth place. Uh, this comes after the announcement of a liquidity crisis that Pool was experiencing. Slush Pool is still in seventh place with 5.1% of the overall network hash rate, which is down about four tenths of a percent from last epoch. Altogether, the top three mining pools make up 55.7% of the overall network hash rate, which is up 1.2% since last Epoch. And the top seven pools make up 89.7% of the overall Bitcoin network hash rate. That's a 3.1% increase among those seven pools since last epoch, which indicates to me that the vast majority of new hash rate that caused the 3.44% increase in difficulty is joining those seven pools in some distribution. With that, let's move on to news. This one comes from Bikes and Bitcoin on Twitter. The White House publishes statements on Bitcoin mining, and he put together a thread on the topic. So check this thread out on Twitter. I'll link to it in the show notes. But at a high level, he goes through a lot of the talking points in this thread and gives his take on them. So a couple that I would like to point out include this paragraph, which seems to be describing the totally catastrophic effects climate change has on everything. And so this statement comes from the U.S. National Climate Assessment and in Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC. And it goes on to state that the climate change emergency is going to completely wreak havoc on the entire world if something isn't done to bring emissions to net zero by mid-century. So the highlighted part Rob has in this paragraph is these climate-driven damages include deaths caused by heat waves, loss of forest, homes, and infrastructure from increasing wildfires, flooding and extreme weather events, property loss, damage to roads, bridges, public transit systems, and the energy system, inundation of coastal areas by sea level rise and storm surges, droughts, damage to crops, and other harm to the ecosystems that sustain people. The damages intensified by climate change are not borne equally. Underserved communities are often disproportionately burdened with the most severe impacts from climate change. Climate change is expensive. In 2021, climate disasters cost the United States $145 billion. Climate change also poses risks to taxpayers, the federal budget, the federal facilities. Without increased action, climate change could reduce U.S. gross domestic product by 3% to 10%, and U.S. federal revenue. Revenue by 7% annually by the end of the century. So there's a lot of that sort of perspective uh, put into this report from the from the White House. And a lot of these narratives are absolutely dispelled and completely debunked. And yet, this is the kind of information that's driving policy coming from the United States federal government. I mean, just in the first sentence here, it says these climate-driven damages include deaths caused by heat waves. Well, if you look at the charts, there's actually 20 times the amount of deaths due to moderate cold than there are deaths related to extreme heat. So heat waves aren't causing more death. Moderate cold is causing more death in humans. And the northern hemisphere is going into winter, and about half of the northern hemisphere is experiencing an energy crisis, which which means that more people are going to be exposed to cold since they're not going to be able to heat their homes like they normally can, which means a lot more people are going to die this winter. Uh, in fact, way more people are going to die due to cold than people are going to die due to heat waves. The document goes on to state loss of forests and homes and infrastructure from increasing wildfires is part of the deaths caused by climate change yet the climate change activists like to espouse that biofuels from burning wood are a better alternative to fossil fuels so they're deforesting areas to create the biomass or the wood that they need to create heat. Flooding and extreme weather events. You know, if you look at the trends, weather events on a long enough time scale are actually getting more and more mild. They're not getting more extreme. And then it goes on to state property loss, damage to roads, bridges, public transit systems. Yet, We all know that, at least in the United States, the infrastructure around here has been crumbling for decades, and there hasn't been any sort of federal initiative to rebuild that infrastructure, at least not a successful one. Droughts, damage to crops, you know, if you look at the trend lines again, droughts are actually getting more and more mild on a long enough timeline, and if you look at crops, you're you're actually getting more food produced year over year than at any other time in history. There's more food being produced right now than there ever has been. All of these climate change hysterics that are pushing these kinds of narratives are actually going to be making the outcomes that they purport to be trying to avoid reality. They're going to be making these things a reality. They're saying that they're avoiding human death. They're going to be causing more of it. They say that, that they're trying to save infrastructure. They're going to be ruining more of it. And they say that it's going to cost the taxpayers and the governments more money when in actuality, taxpayers are the ones who are going to be burdened with trying to fund the Green infrastructure that they want to put in place, like the solar panels and the windmills, that aren't going to produce enough reliable electricity to operate. Therefore, they're always going to be running at a loss, and the taxpayers are the ones who are going to get stuck filling that gap. So, there's just a lot of BS like that in this Twitter thread. And uh, again, I'll link that in the show notes. Go ahead and take a look at it in other news we've got upstream data advocating on behalf of renegade oil and gas of colorado so this is adam o from upstream data and he is at the adam adams county commissioner's meeting uh, where they are talking about mining bitcoin with oil and gas in that county so if you recall uh, a few weeks ago maybe a couple of months ago now uh, there was this lawsuit filed from Adams County to Renegade Oil and Gas, who is operating an oil and gas well site in that county. And the lawsuit was filed because the county basically said, since Bitcoin mining is not explicitly stated as an approved activity on agricultural land, it is therefore implicitly prohibited. And that's why Adam and, and also Bikes and Bitcoin, the guy who did this thread that I just covered, they're, they're both over there at the commissioner's office today uh, talking about why the actions taken by the county against renegade oil and gas are wrong and why we actually should be doing more Bitcoin mining to reduce methane emissions. So that'll be an interesting story to see how it all turns out. With that, let's move on to developments. Mm -hmm. Poolin, the previously fourth largest Bitcoin mining pool, fell down to sixth place this week on news of a liquidity crisis in their pool. So as news was breaking on this issue, it seemed as though they had uh, prohibited withdrawals from their pool. And if you look at the announcement that Poolin published, um, th- they actually they made quite a few changes, and so they're introducing a promotion. So one is uh, zero fee for Bitcoin and Eth mining or Ethereum mining. So. From September 8th until December 7th, 2022, if you start mining with Poolin, then you won't pay any pool fees at all. And another part of the promotion is that if you have one Bitcoin or five ETH in your pool balance, in your pool account, then you don't get any mining fees for one year. But this term pool account was a little bit confusing. And so I noticed on Twitter that People were talking about this as if as though Poolin had stopped withdrawals from any of their mining accounts. That's not quite the case. And it's just the language that they use here is a little bit confusing. So they call it a pool account. What the pool account actually is on Poolin is where you're like staking your coins to earn a yield on them. And that is the type of account that they ceased withdraws from and so if you were just like a regular miner mining with your normal account and not doing the staking you can still withdraw your mining rewards like normal those accounts are not affected another part of this announcement is that they're actually going to change the full pay per share payout method to pay per last end share method so uh, this was interesting to me because basically a full pay per share model means that you're going to get paid the same amount based on the amount of hash rate that you're providing. It's not going to change whether or not the pool finds any blocks. Whereas the pay per last end share model, which is what Slush Pool uses, it'll, your rewards will change based on how many blocks the pool finds. So if the pool doesn't find any blocks for 24 hours, you don't get paid for running the electricity to run your ASIC. But if the pool like goes on a winning streak and gets like 15 blocks in a 24 hour period, then you make bank and mining rewards those days. So pooling, pool in is switching from full pay per share to pay per last end shares. Uh, so I thought that was interesting because there's been some chatter about how full pay per share just is not a sustainable model for a mining pool. And I think this liquidity crisis forced pool in to realize that. This section was a little bit confusing. Suspension on Bitcoin and ETH balance payout. The payout of current BTC and ETH balances on pool will be temporarily suspended. Uh, I'm not sure if that meant like all mining payouts um, in between the time of the announcement and September 6th would just be suspended and then reinstated after September 6th. But that's kind of what it sounds like. And then uh, suspension of swap services and then of course pool account withdrawals will be paused times and plans of resuming that will be released within two weeks yeah sure um, so this this is what stood out to me as as being the initial cause for concern was that they were saying pool account withdrawals are suspended but uh, in hindsight reading it again it, it kind of looks like they did actually suspend balance payouts to all types of accounts, but then they also suspended withdraws from pool accounts. In any case, this announcement freaked out a lot of miners and actually caused the pool to drop from fourth place to sixth place overall. So a lot of people were pulling hash rate from that. The last development I have is Lincoin turns one years old. They are a relatively new mining pool. You can check them out on Twitter, at Lincoin pool, or you can go to their website, which is lincoin.io. And I like these guys because they're, they seem to have a good focus on privacy. They were the first mining pool to implement PayNIM payouts. So in an effort to help people not reuse Bitcoin addresses, instead of like receiving your mining payouts to the same address if you wanted to receive payouts to a different address each time you'd have to go into your mining pool account and update that payout address each time in between each payout in order not to be reusing the same address and depending on which pool you're using you know that can be kind of annoying it takes a little while to do and because of that friction i think a lot of people just kind of set it and forget it and just leave the one address in there and then receive all their payouts to that same address, which is bad for privacy. So by LinCoin implementing the PayNIM payout structure, basically you go into your mining pool account and put in your PayNIM payment code. And then between LinCoin pool and your PayNIM, they can generate a fresh address for you each time Based on that payment code, so that you don't have to go in and change your address each time. So, when you do that, you automatically get each payout to a different Bitcoin address, which is pretty cool. With that, let's move on to the Home Miner Hall of Fame. <music> this one comes from BlockpileNick. So, if you're not following them on Twitter, Go ahead and check them out but i like this one just because there's a lot going on here there's all sorts of different duct worked and asics so you know he's got a few different amp miners in here and he's got them oriented on the rack different ways and he's got his fans circulating air and then he's just got all these ducts going up and around so uh i thought that was just kind of cool to see and I, I think it goes to show you that like you can run a lot of ASICs in a small space and you don't necessarily need to have all this crazy infrastructure like he's just he's got a baker's rack he's got some sort of box here that he's run several of the ducts to and then you know he's got this flexible ducting which is really cheap so I just thought this was a great resourceful way to Run a lot of hash rate without putting in a lot of money to come up with infrastructure that's you know that that can be prohibitively expensive. The next one I want to highlight, I, s- I found this video posted by Mr. CD Brown Three, so check them out on Twitter. But I think the dude in the video is actually this guy, which is A2JUN underscore AJPU underscore Bits. So. Follow them on Twitter too if you're not because I think that's the guy in the video. And what they did here in this video is he's got cooking oil, used cooking oil in these jugs here, okay? And he takes that cooking oil and refines it in this burner and then he uses that oil to run that little engine right there. And then that little engine is hooked up to a generator and that generator is providing the electricity to run all these ASICs on this rack over here. And so I just thought that this was like an absolute win because he's using wasted material that would have just been thrown away and he's using it to run an engine that, you know, he it looks like it was just a spare engine that he had laying around and now he's mining Bitcoin with it. So this was just an awesome project. So I definitely recommend checking that out. And finally, privacy implications. I wanted to highlight the Crypto Vigilante Summit, which is coming up on the 23rd of September. And this is an online event which showcases how to take ownership and take radical responsibility over your money and how to hold your own keys, run your own node get your coins off of the exchange and how to mine your own Bitcoin, which is where I come in. They asked me to participate by preparing a video presentation. So I've got a 90-minute video that's going to be shown at this event. And then I'm going to try to be there for like 15 minutes afterwards to do a short Q&A on mining Bitcoin. In case you missed it the other day when I posted it on Twitter, here's a short sneak peek at the 90 minute presentation i've got coming up just because you have your name attached to your electric bill somehow means that your on-chain utxos then get attached to your identity it's um it's a very short-sighted take on what kyc is and you know if i go to a liquor store and present them my id to buy a six pack of beer does that make a kyc beer No, it doesn't. KYC is a very specific process that stems from the Bank Secrecy Act. Between the hackers and the government, your life and your freedoms are at risk by putting yourself on these lists. So this is the dangers of KYC. In other words, if you're looking at these panels and you don't know exactly what you're looking at, keep your hands out of these panels. I'm not saying that past performance indicates future results it's it really comes down to what you anticipate happening what companies like upstream data are doing is is they're taking methane gas that would have been wasted
1: and then I'm porting to this inline fan uh, so I'm not using any stock fans in the S9
0: and it's a good idea too to pick up the ASIC and shake it What Whirlpool does is it's a coin join and it will break the deterministic links from the prior transaction history to the coin join outputs. So these are some tanks that I've been working at for uh, different immersion cooling. These are filled with Bitcool dielectric oil. So my solution to that was to use five VPN tunnels and then load balance all the mining traffic between those five tunnels So be sure to check out the Crypto Vigilante Summit if any of that sounds interesting to you. And with that, let's move on to guest appearances. This epoch, I've got two special guests to join me on the show, and we're going to talk about hosting services. I hope you enjoy. Bikes and Bitcoin and Arceris, the founders of Distributed Hash. Welcome to the Hashcast. Thanks for joining me.
1: I awesome to be is. here.
0: Cool. So I wanted to bring both of you on because it's pretty recent that you started up Distributed Hash. And I think that a lot of listeners are going to have a negative perception of hosting facilities because of a lot of crestfallen situations and letdowns that have happened over the years, you know, going back to cloud mining and then more recently like compass mining, there's just been a lot of incidences that have led people to get a negative perception of, of hosted mining situations. And um, you know, although there are risks like and trade-offs, like there is with any decision in mining. Um, I think it's in I think that hosting can be a very viable solution for a lot of people because then you don't have to deal with the heat in your house. You don't have to deal with the noise in your house. You don't have to drive your family crazy. Um, You may actually wind up getting way better electricity rates. So, you know, I think there's there's certainly something to be said for hosting if it's done right. And what you guys are doing stands out to me. And so I wanted to bring you on and and have you explained to listeners what distributed hash is, what makes it different, and and why hosting doesn't have to be a scary topic. So um, with that, is there uh, anything you guys would like to to tell listeners about yourselves, like how you who you are and, and how you got into Bitcoin, And then we can kind of get into, we can do an introduction for each of you and then, kind Of get into like what led you guys to starting up distributed hash, Rob. Why don't or uh, Bikes and Bitcoin? Why don't you go ahead?
1: Right on, <laughs> and Rob Bikes and Bitcoin, Rob W is me on Twitter. Um, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. So I got Bitcoin curious as one does in 2015 2016, starting to hear about it. Uh, Wences Casares, who was the Zappo uh, Zappo CEO was on a podcast called Econ Talk, uh, which is hosted by a guy named Rush, Russ Roberts, an economist. And I was sort of curious about this Bitcoin thing because I've always worked in you know, self-employed startup space, uh, running my own companies or working with early stage companies. And so I heard about this Bitcoin thing and I thought as all entrepreneurs do, you know, that sounds like an asymmetric bet <clears throat> and didn't really think much about you know, the technology uh, or the fact that it was a network and not an asset. And you know, as one does, you forget about it, and then you look back and realize that, holy cow, something is happening uh, with the price, and there's, there's quite a zeitgeist around this thing. And so it started to get into Bitcoin proper in, in 2017, and then way leads on to way. I find myself moving, I find myself with the company winding down, and then in a new, uh, in a new location of the front range in Colorado. Uh, and then what starts to happen is that we start to get a little bit mining curious, and we realize that um, Arseris and our, our additional partner in the space, uh, we realize that hosting is terrible. Hosting is just the worst thing ever. It's everything that was supposed to be great about a decentralized permissionless network that is run by the plebs for the plebs has been, I wouldn't say captured, but very quickly become something that was industrialized and you were introducing huge counterparty risk into. Um, and we, we can go into all the various ways that that counterparty risk exists and how it doesn't really, I wouldn't say betrays uh, really the ethos of mining, but it starts to corrupt what's great about mining. Uh, and so that's really kind of the mindset that we, we had when we started this company was that, you know, at the end of the day, mining is not supposed to be made easy. You're not supposed to be able to just walk into the room with 100 grand worth of machines and start printing the future of money as if it was nothing and so that's really a through line that we carry through the company is that we actually don't want mining to be made easy uh, we want you to become smarter yeah so
2: my background is uh, a lot of people have heard this story but I got into mining back in <clears throat> 2011 uh, I was working night shift at a hotel that I, I was running with my wife and um, uh, i don't remember quite how i came across bitcoin but uh you know, possibly even just the slash dot post but uh, i had access to a whole bunch of uh mac minis so i set up um the uh, uh whatever it was back then that you mined with on all of the mac Minis. so i did cpu mining um to uh to what was slush pool i, I think it may have actually been called something else back then but um and um, mined a whole a whole lot back then. And then a, about a year, year later, year or two later, something like 2012, early 2013, shut it all down, uh, sold everything and put it away. Uh, didn't really think about Bitcoin again until late 2019 when I started to see uh, things getting a little crazy, decided to get back into it. Um, and uh, educated myself at that point on everything Bitcoin was. I very quickly, uh, you know, read like uh, uh, Safedeen's books and and all of those things. Got into it and um, did a bunch of other things. I'm also a, an attorney by training. So when I realized um, later, uh, like 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 Bikes and Bitcoin said that mining had been sort of polluted and captured uh, by. Uh, larger interests and i said well i've done mining at home mine why why not do it again it's like okay well now this a6 things are really expensive all these power rates all this all this stuff um this is actually difficult maybe we should uh figure out a way to um i I saw other great groups and i had had seen some of the you know cloud mining stuff and it's all it was all a little and not so great for it, yeah. Sus, sus, sus that's, that's what people say now, right? <laughs> um, so we, I, I figured, how do I put something together that makes it easier for, for uh, small time people to you know do it? Um, but not so much where they're having to, um, you know, figure out the, the, the nitty gritty networking stuff, but actually put it together in a way where uh they could just do it and have their hands on it but not have to deal with all the stuff that, uh, you know, industrial scale mining is you know, basically smooth out the learning curve, I guess is what you'd say. Um, but do it, in a, do it in a way where, uh, privacy and, um, you know, uh, deniability can be maintained to some degree at least.
0: Yeah, definitely. You bring up a good point that, that, that deniability, right. That, that reasonable doubt that you can introduce and, And so what what were you looking for when when you when you decided that you were going to pursue this endeavor? You know, what what were you looking for in terms of like, you know, why did you choose the place that you chose geographically? And, you know, are there are there particular laws there that make it more attractive for people to do this in that jurisdiction? And, and then once you settled on a place, what were some of the challenges that you faced, like going from just the initial idea to like actually making it like a real, a real thing?
2: Well, so I had moved to Wyoming specifically because of the, uh, uh, awesome Bitcoin laws that are here. Uh, and a lot of people uh, know about those, but in some they've, they were the first state to really go all the way uh, or at least as far as they did to making it a good jurisdiction, at least in the United States for, uh, you know, Bitcoin holding, Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin use. Um, uh, Other states have followed to one degree or another. I believe Texas has done some things. Tennessee has done some things, but uh, Wyoming was the first. And in addition to that, uh, people uh, may not know this, but Wyoming was also the place where the LLC was invented back in the 70s. Um, so they have the longest history of that. And they're also one of a very few states that still allow for what's called an anonymous LLC. So they, Wyoming is very privacy focused. Um, they have a lot of experience with, uh, they have the longest experience with these kinds of corporate structures. Um, and they're, you know, on the cutting edge of, uh I mean, this. I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but regulating in in the Bitcoin space because you know re- all regulation isn't necessarily bad. Um, it's it's almost worse to have absolutely nothing because then the state can do whatever the, whatever the hell it wants, right? So at least this case, one thing they have done is, uh, or at least they're debating right now, is making it so that you cannot be forced by the court system here in Wyoming to disclose disclose your private key under any circumstances because they. It, it, you, you can still be forced to i mean maybe if, if you're say in a in a, in a uh, like a divorce or something you they can still say you have to give over the bitcoin but they can't actually force you to give over the private key which is that's a, that's a, that's a big deal um similarly it, because wyoming has no income tax if you if you're mining here even if you're not here you don't have to pay wyoming income tax also you may you may still have to pay income tax in your own state uh, assuming you're Know, re- reporting and complying as you should but you don't have to pay separate ones here whereas if you did it say in uh, a, a state with an income tax like north carolina and you didn't live there you'd still have to pay north carolina's tax on the stuff you did in north carolina uh or at least technically you would <laughs> but um so wyoming has a lot of good regulations on that um the power isn't the greatest in the in the country. It is a huge power producer, so there's power everywhere, but the pricing isn't the best. It's not like Texas where you can get two cents. It is a regulated power industry, but that does provide some advantages, which are um, they can't raise the rates on you willy-nilly. So yes, you are stuck to potentially a higher rate, but they also have a regulated way of raising those rates. Um, and if you can find power, it's usually very like it, it, you're not really competing with a lot of other people to use it. So, if the, you know, the, the cities up here, if there's a if there's a substation with excess juice, it's not like they have 20 people wanting mm-hmm. it. Although nowadays, with with all the other with all the other Bitcoin miners out there, and uh, then yes, you are competing with other Bitcoin miners, but it's not like you're competing against you know, other heavy industry also. So, um, what's available is available. And there's a really good amount of uh local like the the local interest also because because of the fact that wyoming has passed all the bitcoin laws the people here those that have heard about it at least understand it and get it um and uh they want uh generally speaking the 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 population wants this thing so uh as long as you can um you don't face the pushback of say uh the people of uh adams
1: county colorado for instance yeah i mean people in wyoming are kind of bored and born and bred on you know ranching and energy production that's that's kind of the bread and butter right and so it's it, it was very funny that one of our first one of our first sort of meetings up at the initial pilot mine that we set up we're sitting there having dinner and one table over there's a younger guy explaining to his what i would assume to be parents the idea of flare gas mining while we're sitting two tables over and we're kind of laughing to ourselves like how on earth are we in in essentially the middle of nowhere wyoming hearing this conversation happening in real time as if it's one person tweeting to somebody else on bitcoin twitter Um, from a high level in terms of what we're doing i think that what became really a Apparent to us as we started to put the pieces together. And I would say that our, our resolve as, as a company now is probably stronger than it was when we started uh, this business. And the reason for that is that, in all honesty, we did not realize how bad things were. As people started to come to us and tell us these absolute horror stories of going through three, four, five different providers, rates that continue to change, machines that are hitting sub 20% uptime, it became more and more apparent to us that the kind of thing that we're building while we started it on this really this really core sense of here are the principles we want to adhere to. You know, any, anytime you start something new, it's a bet and we didn't we didn't know how deep the rabbit hole went, so to speak, but we have learned in in the number of months that we've been running and and bringing folks online and hosting and educating folks, that it's actually a massive issue, and there there are some huge liabilities in the market. Not everybody, you know. Of course, there's of course there are folks that are that are crossing their T's and dotting their eyes and doing fantastic work, uh, but we've heard some huge huge horror stories about things that have really always fallen on the negative side for the customer, and the um, the CYA side for the business, the cover your ass side for the business. So that. That has, I think, only really deepened our resolve when it comes to things like being extremely communicative with customers. If somebody's coming and, and <clears throat> they have a question about what's happening with a machine, you'd be surprised at the number of people that just don't pick up the phone. And whether that's because they don't have the expertise in-house and they don't know how to troubleshoot it or they don't understand the intricacies of their own mind, uh, that's altogether possible. Uh, people with machines not going hot for, for days, for tens of days. So you've got a quarter million dollars of equipment sitting somewhere or a million dollars of equipment sitting somewhere. And you're kind of wondering why you're only getting a quarter of that hash or half that hash. So stuff literally just not going up, the communication not being there. Uh, and then the last piece that we really started finding, because my my role at the company is to make everything that Arceris and, and our additional partner, uh, who are very heavily kind of research oriented and trained, Uh, My role is essentially to make everything that they're doing human readable, because all they want to do is go deep in the data uh, and absolutely geek out about the intricacies of the machines and the systems. And if I if I hear uh, Bernoulli principle one more time, uh, I'm going to cry. Uh, And essentially take all that and make it human readable so that folks can actually be educated in terms of what is going on. Why is your machine doing this? What are the differences between various types of machines? Um, So it's been really interesting. It's been interesting to watch this thing unfold because we've realized that there is a huge hole that you can drive many, many Mac trucks through in the market. And our belief is that the best way to close that hole is to educate folks, to make sure folks know that they should be in control and mining should not be made easy. You do not get in any world to throw a million dollars at something and just stream money back to you. The easier it is, is proportional to how likely it is to blow up in your face. Uh, and we don't want people to blow up, frankly.
0: Yeah, I, I, go, go
2: ahead, Arsiris. So I wanted to jump on that, because yeah, initially he, he kind of made it a really good point in there that initially we started with like just two, three core principles, which were wanted to provide uh, a maximum privacy that we could legally. I mean, we're, we're, we're not here trying to um, have people hide from everything. But so so I would call it KYC minimized in a legal way, uh, while also providing uh, the customers with maximum visibility into their mining so that, uh, um, you know, they, they, they have assurances. I mean, everything, everything in Bitcoin is, you know, um, you know, you know, Verify before you trust. I want to make sure that you know, you know you can see into your machines, you can control your machines, you can touch your machines. Uh, but because of that, we're not necessarily for everyone. If somebody does not care about privacy for whatever reason, um, and there are people out there who's like, yeah, the, the, the hoops you have to jump through to do the privacy right, even with us, are not necessarily insubstantial. Uh, or the people who want a white glove treatment where they just basically pay a rate and you know have somebody manage their miners for them, we're we may not be the best choice, um, uh, but uh, those who who are willing to go through that little education process and learn about privacy a little bit more, learn about uh, how the machines work a little bit more. Uh, we are we think we're a good option for those people um, and the people who want to to grow in this business uh, you know, and eventually out, outgrow us.
0: Yeah, I think you guys are touching on an important concept that is, you know, passive income, the pursuit of passive income in this space can can really shoot. You can really shoot yourself in the foot trying to do that. And and like you're saying, if it's if it's easy, it's probably too good to be true. And so I, I think you've got a really good grasp on that. And the fact that you're putting these educational resources together and I want to circle back to these and show viewers on your website where they're at. Um but I think it, it speaks to well informed people being able to make good decisions. And then like you're saying, Arcerus, you know, maybe maybe distributed hash isn't the best fit for them. Maybe they do want that white glove service where they just are pursuing that passive income, but that's that's not, you know, what you're building for customers. But what I do wanna circle back on before we get into those that those like research pieces that you guys are putting together, because those are super fascinating. Um, I want to, I kind of want to unpack this, this concept of the LLC for viewers, because I think, I think a lot of viewers may not appreciate what benefits an LLC can bring. And I think they may um, kind of conflate the fact that they're starting a business entity with like, what kind of information distributed hash is going to be reporting on them you know i think there's this this concept that like oh if i start an llc and i have this equipment with distributed hash then then they're going to tell the government how much bitcoin i'm mining and so i've seen that conversation play out like in the telegram channels and stuff so i just want to kind of unpack that a little bit and just make it like crystal clear for viewers like like what 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 is gonna benefit them from starting an LLC like why why is that important and how does it keep their information private and then who's gonna have access to their information in like a worst case scenario and then like what is your role as distributed hash related to their business entity and those asics um, just so they kind of have a better idea of how how that relationship works together
2: okay so. First off, you don't need to do the LLC to hash with us. There's there, that is it's not required. Um, it's strongly encouraged because that that is without that, then all of the privacy stuff that falls out from having the LLC doesn't apply. But um, we don't require it, uh, and if you don't have it, we're you know we're just like any other host that has that gives you high visibility into your machines if those exist. Um, the uh, Uh, The whole point of the LLC, though, is, so first of all, I'm an attorney. I'm not your attorney. You do need to, um, you know, people, this isn't legal advice. Um, I have to say that because uh, we don't help you form the LLC. I will point you to resources here in Wyoming that will help you form the LLC. I I don't want to be that person for you. Um, A because it means that I will have information on who you are and your location and stuff like that. Um, but B because it it it, it, all, it also means that there's more stuff inside of distributed hash that shouldn't be there. So you want you want the LLC component. I will point you to one of several providers, and uh, you can choose for yourself um, that will uh, that that are attorneys here in Wyoming that will that will form this LLC for you, and they generate because you're paying them that creates an attorney-client privilege relationship here in Wyoming they don't need to put your name on any of the llc documents they the attorney can sign everything on your behalf uh, and that is hundred percent legal so the llc documents that are filed with the state do not have uh your personal information on them they have your attorney's information on them then once that legal entity is formed that legal entity contracts with distributed hash so here's the thing with distributed hash and and not just us with any host you're going to send us you know potentially 100,000 dollars worth of hardware do you really want to have us have have those in house without a contract well that contract needs a signature or it's you know not a contract so if you don't have an llc you're signing it with your name okay well now your name regardless of everything else you do your name is on file with us has to be because we have a contract i mean and you probably don't want to give us 100,000 dollars worth of equipment and not have a legal way of getting that equipment back or proving that it's yours. Because, I mean, I've, this has never happened in the history of Bitcoin, but what if we just sort of rug pulled your machines? You'd have no legal recourse. Um, so you want a contract, but you don't want your name on the contract. How you do that? Well, you create a Wyoming Anonymous LLC and that LLC contracts with us. The next step is, well, now that LLC has that relationship with us, your name isn't in our records anywhere. So if the government comes and says, you know, give me, um, you know, Bob Smith has got Bob Smith's machines. I can legally say who we don't have a customer named Bob Smith. You know, you, you'll need to find ABC LLC and tell me that if you know, if, if you, Mr. Fed knows that Bob Smith owns ABC LLC, now give me a, give me a, a warrant that says that, and then I'll give you their machines, but I don't know who Bob Smith is. Um, so that's one step another step is you know we uh, we don't know what your machines are generating uh, and i don't want if if the government comes to me and says you need to say you need to say who's who's in your house i was like okay well yes i will say that i will if the government comes to me and says you need to tell me who's in your in your building i have to say i have to i have to respond and i can just say well here's these llc's they are our customers they don't point those don't those links don't directly point to the individuals this is also just to be clear. This is not a tax dodge. This is not a way of saying you you can get a, get around paying taxes for this. You still have to pay taxes for your mining, but I'm not reporting on anything because I don't know. Your LLC is generating the Bitcoin. Those are going uh, into those LLCs, but uh, I don't have visibility into that. So if you, mm-hmm. if, I mean, I see your machines. I see that there's so 88 terahash or whatever, 96 terahash. I know that, but. I don't know if you're running them at high, medium, or low. I don't know that if you're if you're if you're trying to run them at maximum efficiency or maximum hash. So I have no idea how much how many coins you're actually generating or what luck you have you. Maybe you're maybe you're in slush pool, maybe you're or brain spool. maybe maybe you're 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 in lin coin. I mean, they're going to necessarily have different coins per day. So I don't I have no clue what you're generating. So I can't report on that. Um, and additionally, is while we will accept payment for your power in dollars, we don't want that. Don't wire me money. If you wire me money, I'll have a bank trace. I'll, and I, and I'll, have to, like, I'll have that information. I don't want that information. I, the whole point here is I want to legally have the minimum amount of information on you so that if somebody comes to me and I have to disclose something, I can't disclose anything that actually links to you. What I disclose doesn't do it so that's the point of the LLC said, and we, we want you to pay in. Oh, well, sorry. The last point of the LLC is the LLC becomes a Wyoming person. Okay. And that gives you all the protections of all the Wyoming laws. That's actually one of the most important pieces of it. So if you, if you say are a Florida resident and you are, um uh you know you you send your machines to us and you're hashing with us and you don't have the Wyoming LLC well there is an argument that Florida could make or the federal government could make that those Bitcoin actually were delivered in Florida well if it's a Wyoming LLC that's the person that owns the machines those Bitcoin are delivered in Wyoming now it, it's the, obviously those sentences don't make sense in the traditional sense, because Bitcoin can't be delivered anywhere physically, but in a legal sense, you have to have a nexus and you have to have all of these other things. And uh, it's it's all a whole bunch of fiction, but uh, legal fiction actually ends up being legal fact at the end of the day in front of a judge. So having the Wyoming LLC means that those Bitcoin are domiciled in Wyoming immediately and not where you live, which gives you more protections, the protections of those Bitcoin laws that we talked about earlier.
1: Yeah. So. So if I could could actually hit on the opposite of that for a second, too, because ours first does a really good job of describing kind of the what what the surface area is of threats to an individual who wants to remain anonymous and hash through us and how it kind of shows up in these various these various pieces that connect really along the customer journey, so to speak from their initial interaction with us, where we don't even use a third-party CRM. We we self-host everything. Um, what happens when you do the opposite? What happens, or maybe not the opposite, but when you just don't care so much about protecting privacy and allowing visibility and decreasing your surface area for attack? You wind up with a situation where the incentives of your host are not aligned with the incentives of the customer. And that has proved and will continue to prove for as long as there are these businesses to be extremely dangerous when it comes to people losing access to their hash, getting rug pulled, hacks on centralized CRM systems, hacks and email providers and unencrypted information providers, essentially by us doing what we're doing, not going the typical sort of, let's just go, even to the extent that we, we won't raise VC money, because if you raise VC money, you have now complicated the cap table of your business to the extent um, to the extent that you, or let me rephrase it. We, we will not raise these sort of disproportionate, insane amounts of VC money. Uh, if we were under very clearly contracted conditions, uh, able to find that sort of alignment, it would make sense. It's just the case that we don't see a lot of VCs that will look at you and say, oh no, feel free to grow a little bit slower for the sake of protecting the privacy and security of your customers. Uh, it tends to be one of these: Can we give you another hundred million so that we can sell you in the next three years for 1.5 billion? Uh, every everything that you do, from the structure perspective to the way that you host things, creates an increased surface area, which simply allows you to become a target. Not even just by a government that is seeking tax revenues, but by bad actors who want to figure out who the heck who the heck is out there, and they're just going to start kicking doors and, and and kicking tires and knocking on doors and trying to figure out what's inside there Uh, at the end of the day it comes down to incentives right we want to put ourselves in a position where our primary incentive is that you are hashing with machines that have the highest uptimes as profitably as possible and we think that we've done a really good job of that when you don't do it you start to run the risk of these sort of financing schemes people that get into cloud mining, because what is cloud mining? Cloud mining isn't some grand idea that allows you to put one token in and get two tokens back. Cloud mining is a financing structure. Cloud, Cloud mining is a way for businesses to cash flow using a derivative, not using what they're actually supposed to be delivering to you. And that's the risk. That's the risk you run when you don't have these very clear guardrails that a lot of people, because mining has supposed to be has supposed to be easy, so to speak, or anyone can mine. Come on, grandmas and grandpas. Like, let's, let's get you an M30S++ and get you up in hash and no big deal. You don't worry about it. We'll just send the money straight to you. Um, that's, that's the counterparty risk that you're introducing with these sorts of things, which always, as it seems, falls to the negative on the customer and the positive on the host. Uh, so really, the, the macro environment... Uh, If you can say that without getting trolled for being an internet think boy, the macro environment is one where the businesses don't really exist. Now, do I think it's changing? Yeah, it's 100% changing because enough people have gotten rugged that a lot of folks are starting to clean their acts up when it comes to the contracting and the uptime and the communications. And hopefully that will continue. Uh, But that's the environment that we're living in right now where every little notch that you make along the way that starts to to cut away at privacy and security creates a target out of you, creates liabilities, creates internal company liabilities, misaligns incentives, and results inevitably in somebody losing their hash, somebody losing a boatload of money and being a very unhappy hosting customer.
0: Yeah, and I I just want to like, kind of inform listeners who might be thinking about this now, like maybe you've piqued their interest and and maybe they're thinking like, well, maybe I should think about setting up a Wyoming LLC. So, so I, I did that myself, like very early on. And there's, there's basically these companies called registered agents Uh sir, I I Archer, I think you referred to them as like attorneys, but I think you were you were speaking to registered agents, correct? And and basically you you pay them a couple hundred bucks a year. And they, you give your information to the registered agent and that is completely confidential between you and your registered agent. And if anyone wants that information, they're gonna to need to bring a subpoena or a warrant or some legal document to get the registered agent to give that up. And then the registered agent files everything on your behalf with the state to prevent your name, your address, your any of your personal information from showing up on the publicly accessible state documents with the Secretary of State of the State of Wyoming. And so that offers you that benefit of being able to now go get a business account under your business name. And now you can start interacting with the world in an economic way as this business entity, and you still have legal rights that an individual person has. And now you're this business that can do things like get a bank account, sign contracts, and and start interacting with the world around you behind this entity that, and you're not revealing your personal information to all of these parties that you're, you're dealing with. And so distributed hash then on the receiving end of that is just getting your LLC's name. The LLC signs the contract. You, as far as distributed hash goes, they could be mining on like solo CK pool and never earn any Bitcoin. They could be, uh, mining on slush pool and getting a little bit every day, you don't know. That's not up to you to to um, get involved with. It's, it's none of distributed hash's business. Your business related to that LLC then becomes, are you paying us for our services, which is, you know, providing the electricity that your ASIC needs to run. And then you, the customer has to ensure that they're pointing that ASIC where they want it to point to. Um, They're managing whatever errors might come up on it. Distributed hash is not babysitting those miners for the individuals. It's up to them to do that. And that also means that distributed hash is not involved with how much Bitcoin is generating. And so therefore, you're not like doing any sort of other reporting. Your relationship basically ends when you get paid for that service. And then that's that
2: and we prefer people to pay us in Bitcoin we actually I guess you could say we charge a premium for non-Bitcoin payments um but uh uh it don't doesn't need to be the mind Bitcoin I don't care where you get the Bitcoin just you know send it to the uh uh, BTC pay server when your bills do that's all I care about um but uh and I I did mention a a lot about the state but it's not just the privacy that this provides is is not just about the state in fact you could say that the, the state elements are the weakest um, the strongest elements are, you know, if you have an LLC, say in North Carolina, or someplace else where your name shows up in the public record, your neighbors can search that. Like, do you want your neighbors knowing that you have a, 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 a LLC with Bitcoin uh, with you know with Bitcoin mining? Or you know, there's there's lots of other uh, attack surfaces that this attempts to minimize, and the, the state attack surface is just one of them.
1: Yeah, Econo, you mentioned something about the the management side too, which I'd love to have our service kind of expand on is that we so because we try to stay very closely aligned incentives wise we we kind of joke internally that we're the only hosting company that wants you to grow out of us because uh, essentially we do three things right we we provide hosting as a service we are producing research on how to best run asics so you you've seen some of the products we put out around uh what's miners and efficiency gains in various modes um, <clears throat> some stuff that we've done around like third-party PSUs, some upcoming stuff we're doing on S19s and troubleshooting and fans and energy density. Uh, and then we provide consultation for folks that might want to be getting in at like that half megawatt, megawatt plus size. Um, I'd, I'd love to have Arcerous break down a little bit from, from a high level kind of what what does it take to get a megawatt online? because we hear so many numbers in, in the Bitcoin space, like, Oh, so such and such company has a hundred megawatts that they're contracted to, and they're going to put this facility together. And then you see it on the other side, which is Joe pleb miner has six S 19s in an immersion tank in his basement, uh, but you don't hear a lot about that intermediary step. And there are a lot of people in, in the, you know, half megawatt to 10 megawatt size. And that provides some really interesting, uh, Interesting problems to solve for. I think that the mega dudes don't have to really worry about because they'll just go raise a hundred million dollars and, and build a warehouse. And the smaller guys, the smaller guys are really trying to optimize for different problems, uh, namely how do I draw one hundred and twenty amps continuously in my basement without getting divorced from my wife? Uh, so they're mitigating different problems, right? Uh, yeah, I'm wondering, Arshus, if you could if you could jump on that because it's a very unique set of problems to solve yeah. for.
2: So. You're not gonna run a megawatt in your house. Let's, let's just be clear. That's not, that ain't happening. Um, and not, not unless uh, you you live in a very unique situation. Um, a megawatt is uh, plus or minus about 200 250 depending on how you're running them uh, machines. It's, it is a, it's a lot of power uh, for normal people to think about. And um, so you need <clears throat> you basically need in, industrial scale, uh, stuff, but you your, in your, in your, in your residence, you can, you could, you know, let's say you have a, a modern home last 20, 30 years, uh, 200 amp service. You can get three, four, five miners running depending on, um, the rest of the situation in your house, like whether or not you have electric water heat and all that. And you could do that relatively easily, um, maybe a bit of a pain in the butt, but doable, um, any more than that, and you either have to upgrade your service or, you know, uh, do things that are probably family uh unfriendly like get rid of water heaters and things like that um that said uh going going to the going beyond five is really what we're aiming at and if you want to do that yourself you know you have to do things like find a site that can that already has uh that kind of power available uh you have to get transformers that change it from the utilities delivered. Uh, uh voltages to the voltages that you need you can't just plug a miner into uh, any old power you need uh, ideally you get um, what's called 415 y240 service uh, or, or voltage inside your facility um and that's not a common voltage for North America so that's just a pain in the butt. You have to find these transformers, which uh, sometimes they're easy and sometimes they're very hard and can be expensive. Um, Not only that, but the transformers have to be matched with whatever the utility is delivering. So you have to find out what the utility is actually going to be handing you. In our case, um, they really, really, our first facility, they would only deliver us um, uh, 480Y277, which is a, uh, it's a industrial, service. Uh, 480 volts is a is a standard industrial service here in the United States. Um, but they also have a, a, a transmission service in the in, you know, 20 24,000 volts, uh, we wanted to just get that, and then go straight to 415. Because um, that's more efficient. And uh, uh, you know, there's there's transformers, you can buy for that, but they they refused to do that. So we had to you know, get an electrical engineer and uh, design the entire system so that we could go down twice and then get into the building properly and um, do all that in a a, uh, relatively inexpensive way. So going from home mining to the next step, which is putting on a megawatt, you're talking, you need commercial real estate, potentially you need um, uh, uh, definitely electricians, probably an electrical engineer. Um, This is assuming you're on grid. If you're off grid, you know, that's a whole different ball of wax that that distributed hash hasn't done it uh, yet uh, ourselves Um, uh, but then you have you know security concerns you have networking concerns it's not just the networking site is side is one that a lot of people seem to oh it's just it's just internet just throw them together uh well you can totally do that and then half your machines won't hash uh but you'll be paying for them to hash uh and they will be hashing but uh, the latency will be so long that they, those hashes won't get counted in your favor because it, it, you wired your network wrong. Um, so little little things like that. Once you get beyond the home scale, uh, little tiny things that you haven't thought about will uh, right, bite you in the ass if you don't do it right. Um, but then you know, the, but the, like you said, the big guys, you know, they just have uh, teams that handle this stuff and that do this day in and day out, and so they can just crank through it very easily. Um, but at, on the one megawatt side, you're also dealing with utilities that are like, really, you, you, you want to do what? Um, I, I can tell, I'll tell the story about how our utility, the one that we set up, uh, we were basically fighting with them because they they had a previous experience with a, with a Bitcoin miner, uh, ba- I think it was back in 2017, 2018, that uh, um, had rented a facility from the, from the utility itself, uh, was online for a couple of months the utility wanted to see inside and they were all, you know, no, you can't see inside. Um, And within a month they had disassembled everything and just skipped out in the middle of the night. Um, We uh, were facing that uh, from the utility plus also about 40 or 50 other Bitcoin groups that wanted, you know, that were kicking the tire, looky loose, basically just kicking the tires and wasting their time. Um, So we had a, a little bit of a fraught relationship at first, but once they got their first check from us, they're like, oh, would you like some more? <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're like, oh, can we sell you more power now? Um, so it's, it, you know, it, it flipped on its head once once we got inside the room, but uh, getting inside the room uh, was difficult for us. And I think that may change. That may change as more people do this and they're like, OK, here's how you set up a Bitcoin mine from the utility side when they get a little bit of experience. But uh, it is something you have to consider. And there's some experience reading the power rates, like understanding that in industrial power and commercial power, things like delivery charges, they're not well explained. Uh, so figuring this out, you have to actually go through and, uh, ask them what, if you, if you buy one megawatt, what's your final, what's your final price going to be? And, uh, not only that, but then you have to check them based on their, their rates. Cause they may not, I mean, they may not actually give you the right answer. <laughs> so, um, Lots of little. It's not easy, is what I'm saying, but it's not impossible, and like people can do it, obviously. Um, and it's just a learning process.
0: Yeah, and, and the thing about that too is like, so many of these home miners that are trying to scale up, you know, they're going at this by themselves, pretty much. They've got some, you know, maybe they've got some forums like, you know, uh, the the home miner wizards on Telegram, or they've you know, seen some content on Twitter or they're getting a little bit of information, but like nobody explains everything step by step from start to finish. Like there's no manual you can go pick up that says how to scale up to one megawatt as a Bitcoin miner. You know, there's no like recipe to do that. And, and another thing that is causing some friction there is that every utility company is going to handle the situation and their rates and the way they hook up and deliver completely differently. Like, you know, yours is delivering in like a uh, 480Y configuration. Mine delivers in straight 240 volt single phase. And like and that's pretty rare these days to see to see a, an entire distribution network that's 240. And um you know there's just uh there's just so many pitfalls and unexpected twists and turns you can take in a journey trying to scale up your operation. And all the while, difficulties getting higher, the price is getting lower, like those variables on the Bitcoin network are constantly changing. And so the longer it takes you and the more delays you run into, like by the time you get to a point where you're ready to plug in, it may no longer make sense for you. And so you've really, man, it's just, it's so difficult to scale up and, I I think that goes to, uh, you know, I think that speaks to a solution that a hosting provider can can offer people like distributed hash. It's like, well, you've got the infrastructure in place and you're ready to go. And if the person makes the decision that that's a good option for them, they can pull the trigger and and get deployed instantly. Right. Like you guys aren't making people wait months to get their machines spun up.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we won't we won't sell you space if we don't have it.
0: Right, uh, right.
2: But that's so, so actually, you, you bring, you, you bring up a good point. And this is kind of one of the things that we envision. Let's say you, you want to go from five, you're a home miner and you, you, you did your five miners in your house or whatever. You've got, you've got that. You can't expand at your house for whatever reason. And you want to jump, you know, you know, feet first into, into, you know, half a megawatt. So call it 100, 125, 150 machines. That's, eminently reachable for, uh, for many people, not, not everybody, but uh, some people can actually get, you know, just haul off and buy those. Well, okay, getting the machines is, is, is actually the easy part. Uh, you can probably get 150 machines off of one of the, uh, uh, the machine purveyors delivered to wherever you want them within a couple of weeks, no problem. Well, building a facility is a, you know, it's a, it's a construction process. You know, you're going to hit delays. You're going to hit permitting. You're going to hit like we had. A, uh, I'll I'll tell the story about the bathroom. We had we had a situation with the with a city that we're where we're putting our we're renting a um, warehouse space, and they wanted us as part of the upgrading to one megawatt for the space. They wanted us to put in a bathroom. Like
1: what? Really?
2: We don't need a bathroom. There's a bathroom right next door. Why can't we use that? Like it's legal. But she had a you know the the inspector had a you know uh, a bug about us having a bathroom on site. And, uh, you know, okay. That was a six week argument. I was like, well, six weeks that were literally not online. Um, well, if we had, you know, uh, a hundred million dollars with the machines sitting there dark that we had already paid for, um, potentially with, with if you had bought those machines on a credit card or something and you're paying, you're paying the VIG on the, on the, on the debt, on the machines. Well now difficulties going up, your machines are dark. You can't plug them in. Um, and you're, you hitting all of these unexpected I mean hell transformers could be could be um you know 24 to 52 weeks out like switch gear like just the just the circuit breakers can can take uh, a long time to get so one thing you could do is bring those machines to us buy the machines bring them to us turn them on they're your machines they're not ours like you're not buying them from us either um and then go off and spend the multiple months building your facility, and then when your when your facility is ready to turn on, okay, take the machines out of us and put them in your facility. Um, so that's the. In some ways, you can look at that as a buffer. In that, you know, building out a facility could take you six to twelve months, um, especially if it's the first construction project you've ever done, and uh, you will hit unexpected delays. So why why take that risk? And if you if you go ahead and build the facility. Who knows what, what what the prices of those miners will be? If you get a good deal on those miners, you want to jump on that now. But you want those on, you want them running.
1: So, yeah, this is the one thing that everybody misses about mining in the Bitcoin space. And I've actually heard you, Okano, talk about this when you talk about the importance of like proof of work and why proof of work is superior to proof of stake. Is because proof of work is the mechanism that connects a digital entity to the physical world. And if you break that, then you can go full fiat and get your merge and your proof of stake and your early early buyers and all this other nonsense, which is why you don't bastardize proof of work as your, your, your mechanism, your security mechanism. This is the one thing that I think a lot of people have learned in the last, say, six to 18 months, <clears throat> is that to, to do these things right, it's not the same thing as just sitting down and raising money and getting... 50 engineers to go write code and troubleshoot it and figure it out and launch it and make the thing work and then iterate on it. And heck, all of a sudden you've got a, a $500 million Bitcoin business in the space. Uh, there's been a ton of businesses like that, fantastic businesses like that. What separates any sort of mining entity from any of these other, uh, I'm not going to say esoteric, but but um, Intellectually based businesses, tech based businesses, is that we have to be connected to the real world. We have to consider the contracting. We have to consider the availability of transformers. A transformer is a giant hunk of metal with wires wrapped in various numbers on either side. It's a giant hunk of metal. You need to buy a giant hunk of metal. That thing is entirely attached to the commodities markets all across the world. So you're not just buying a chunk of metal, you're buying a chunk of metal whose price goes up and down contingent on who's invading who at any given moment. So this this is what's really interesting to us in the space and why we are really dead set on not making mining easy because you need to know what you're getting into. This is This is a battlefield for running the most efficient business, the most efficient operation that you possibly can because these are the vectors of attack that are going to become really relevant in the next 4 to 7 years. You know what happened in Kazakhstan with the mining uh, mining and governments coming back and asking for additional revenue, what happens in Russia with sanctions and facilities getting shut down. These are not one-offs. And I think that people are maybe not as considerate as they should be that these are not one-offs. These are just the first cases of what is going to become continuous as mining either becomes something that is embraced by a geography or is seen as a vector of attack. you know, Even to the extent that I love what's happening in Texas, I'm a huge fan of what's happening in Texas, but there are still systemic risks that are introduced to not Bitcoin as a protocol. Bitcoin's gonna be fine. We saw half the network go dark and reassemble all over the world. We're at all time highs in terms of hash right now. Like Bitcoin will be fine. But jurisdictionally, even something as wonderful as what's happening in Texas can pose a very interesting uh, risk, a systemic risk, whether that's to, um, you know, federal uh, federal oversight. The federal government goes, oh, well, we don't really like Bitcoin mining. It's a disfavored activity and we want to target Texas for X, Y, Z reason. Let's go over their Bitcoin miners, and start kicking tires and start creating issues for these mega miners. It could create a... a A PR issue not an actual technical issue if you have something like uh, one of these contracts uh, a a power purchasing agreement that a large miner has could create some kind of cascading risk within a network if people are switching off power you know we don't really know what it looks like if you pull you know 250 megawatts uh, or assemble it on the grid in certain kinds of ways and adjust it I think to a certain extent we do uh, but there's still risk that we have to give credence to. And if if a substation blows up or if a facility catches on fire and the neighbors start complaining and all of a sudden you wind up with, you know, the equivalent of the California Save the Whales movement throughout Texas with a bunch of sort of NIMBYs saying, uh, let's let's get these miners out within, you know, X thousands of feet of this kind of operation you can start to choke off what you're able to do in the mining space. It's the same kind of stuff that they've been doing to oil and gas, where they'll introduce regulations and say, oh, you're totally welcome to, to run your oil and gas operation. It just has to be 3,500 feet from any particular residence. Well, that's over half a mile. All of a sudden, you're creating these buffer zones that you're literally just boxing people out of doing business. So I think that's worth considering in the long run that because this is where we meet the real world, so to speak, where the proof of work happens, uh, this is gonna be the battleground for the next fights around the network. And you know the, we have to be as smart as we possibly can when it comes to engaging, uh, whether it's on the data side or, or I won't say the advocacy side, but I think the good data Will allow people to self-educate in such a way that they can understand that these things are net positive. They're not net negatives to the grid or to a neighborhood or to to a commercial zone.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a good segue into the educational resources that Distributed Hash has been working on. Is there is there a place on the website that those are linked? How can I how can I point viewers to the to those reports that you guys have been we link them direct.
1: Up? they are direct linked our least high tech piece on our uh we're surprised anyone reaches out to us when they see our website uh but we kept it simple to to be yeah to be as as low of a threat vector as possible um that's something that we're working on in the hosting we've typically just published through through various channels whether it's direct connections of industry insiders and experts people that work in the space uh, large group chats like the Home Mining Wizards chat and things like this, uh, and then Twitter, of course, pushing things out on social media. Uh, but yeah, I'll let I'll let Arstress jump in a little bit in terms of how how the research piece kind of drives drives a lot of what we're doing. Uh, my as I said, my job is definitely to make it human readable, uh, to to take the geeking out over the spreadsheets and the uh, and the numbers, and to kind of craft the narrative and make sure folks really understand what this means to them.
0: Yeah, because I, I thought one of the real interesting pieces you guys put together was the one where you were talking about how like the temperature is going to change your hash rate efficiency, like your ambient temperature, and and you guys did some interesting research into like particular power supply units responding in different ways and comparing them in this report. So so yeah, Arser, go ahead. Oops.
2: So that report that I, so that was actually kind of a, well, as, as you might uh, know that there, there's been a bit of a heat wave coming through the U S this, uh, this summer, um, up here where we are, we expect uh, zero to one days over 100 degrees and maybe five days over 90. I think we've had something like 45 over 90 and 10 over a hundred, um, to put that in, in, uh, Celsius. That's, uh, about, um, 40 degree, 40, 42 degree incoming air um, at the high end. And, you know, that there's, there's no volume of air you can at 40 degree incoming air. There's no volume of air you can push to make the incoming air go down to 35. And the, the we found that certain runs, certain SKUs uh, or, or uh, power supplies. Uh, these are these are all what's miners. Um, would start to crap out between 30 35 uh, about right around 35 degrees incoming air um, and uh, they start to reset and things like that but yet certain other binnings of power supplies would be totally fine way past 40 and um, other people had seen this behavior but they could they didn't nail it down but we had since we had all of these power supplies to look at we, we started figuring out that it appeared that What's minor used multiple OEM manufacturers in China for their power supplies. And certain, even almost even to the point where certain power supplies were clearly uh, manufactured or, or shipped to them in the same um, batch. Uh, and we, so we were able to just, just determine that the ones that were labeled what's power were clearly superior to everything else. I mean the 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 model number. I think at two twenty one B two twenty one C that didn't help, but specifically, what's power versions of the power supplies were were clearly superior. They they basically never stopped hashing, and the other ones, some of them would would start to um, falter at um, you know right around thirty five. Some would handle uh, up to about um, thirty eight thirty nine, but. Um, uh, once, once, once they started doing that, there was, there was, uh, no recovery after the temperature got higher when the temperature got back down below those rates, um, they would generally be okay. But if you were good, you know, looking at this and you were in an area where like say South Texas, where the, you know, hundred degree air is common, you might want to consider that, uh, maybe you should have all of these higher quality power supplies rather than, you know the lower quality ones. If you were, say, hashing in Alaska, where you can guarantee it's never going to go so high, well, that may be not as big a concern. You could save yourself some money getting the the lesser, lower grade power supplies. But even here in Wyoming, we we thought that we were never going to see those temperatures, or at least if we did, they would be transient, not for you know two months in uh, on end. Um, so that's a that's a that's one of the pieces of research that we did and we published that because we felt that. Maybe some other people knew about this, and at Mining Disrupt, we talked to some people, and they had realized this, but they hadn't gotten down to the nitty gritty of this is the actual way you determine which ones are good and which ones are bad by looking at it. Um, so we figured we'd share that with the community so that all plebs would know it, because uh, certainly the the mega miners they probably had already figured this stuff out, and they're going to keep it to themselves. They're not going to share it, but uh, you know we should share it. But this whole research thing came about the original thing, the, the, we haven't published this yet, mostly because we haven't finished the analysis. We have to find somebody who, who can do this analysis for us because I'm not I'm not an electrical engineer. But when uh, when we were getting our power originally, the uh, power company threw a, a a 2017 paper at us saying, oh, Bitcoin mines, they generate what's called harmonic distortion. And this is bad. And we don't want that on our system. What do you say to that? And I was like, uh, we don't. That's what we say. We don't do that. He said well this paper says you do it's like well okay how do we refute that paper so we collected raw data on our entire mine with our with the help of our electrician and showed showed to the to the uh, power company that we don't generate the harmonic distortion but now we have to figure out we have to have somebody who actually you know they were fine with it after we showed them that data but but right now all we have is raw data. we haven't quite figured out how to analyze that and write that one up properly but basically um, that's another thing you might come across, especially if you're going to a a utility that's never done this before. is like, oh, well, we don't want to. You do harmonic distortion. That's bad. Like, Well, no, we don't. And but then that's when we decided we should just do all this this research and publish it as much as possible. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to publish that one yet because we just don't have the skill in-house to analyze it. But uh, the power supply one, the use of low mode in what's miners one, and then uh, some upcoming ones we have been able to do in-house.
1: Yeah, and just as a as a quick plug-in on the harmonic distortion piece, it is exactly what you think it is, which is that if you're running a bunch of machines simultaneously, this paper was asserting. And what's interesting about this paper is that they were running, I think, ten or ten or twelve S9s. So this was very, very, very small electrical draw, very small amount of hash. They were essentially asserting that when you would run these machines they would draw in a way that would create this kind of resonant frequency in the grid. And that's something that you don't want happening in an electrical grid. You don't want this sort of like waves of power, draw, power, drop, power, draw, power, drop. Uh, and basically what we found with the actual uh, site is that these machines don't cycle together. They don't fall into resonance with each other and create these harmonics. It's totally destructive. So one machine is hashing over here. Another machine is hashing over here their frequencies are going to be destructive to each other on the grid. So you're not going to see this kind of dangerous uh, ebb and flow of of a harmonic in the grid.
2: That and they were using S9s and we are multiple generations past that. And so the newer power supplies, the newer machines just generally don't have those problems to begin with.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's the first time I've heard anyone bring up harmonic distortion, you know, because a couple of things there, like it implies that whatever device you have is somehow going to be feeding back to the rest of the grid. And then it also ignores this. I forget who the scientist is that the the concept is named after, but it ignores this concept where any two points on an electrical circuit have to have the same frequency. You can't have two different frequencies on the same circuit. And that doesn't matter if it's, you know, a chip inside your cell phone or if it's a circuit the size of the United States Western Interconnect that frequency is gonna be exactly the same at no matter which two points you measure it at. Um, so that that's interesting, um, and I, I'm looking forward to reading that one. Um, I will link the the other, you've got two that you've published so far, right? Or th- is it three?
1: Uh, two right now.
0: Okay, yeah, because you did yeah, the one on like how three it's- in the hopper. How it's better to like run at like a lower power rate because then you get increased efficiency. So you've got that one and then you've got the one on the temperature so i'll link both of those in the show notes
2: yeah those those uh yeah the 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 temperature one um and the with the what's miners in low mode was pretty interesting because that uh um it's definitely a choice like you can you can you can always run it flat out um but it's and we're one of our future papers is going to basically be on how you make these choices depending on what your goals are Uh, but if your goal is maximum coin regardless of the cost you you don't go to low mode um, unless there's another reason like temperature Um, but if your your goal is uh, it's basically yeah, if your goal is to maximize revenue, then you might want to go to low mode. And how, here's how you might be able to figure out what's a good benchmark for it. So we those those benchmarks, I believe, are in that in that paper as to
1: yeah. you know yeah, how to figure that out. Yeah, the name of the game on that front is that thermodynamics does not kind of mess around. When you make a a system heat a system heat up become hotter, it becomes less efficient. And so dropping the inputs, dropping the electrical draw of a miner to a certain degree does increase the efficiency of it, right? Uh, Going the opposite direction decreases the efficiency. It's the exact same thing as having an optimal cruising speed on your car, where maybe it's just happiest at 63 and a half miles an hour. And once you start to get over that, you're going to be disproportionately burning more gas relative to the speed that you're trying to go. So the exact same principle, uh, all, all electrics kind of work in this way. And so the name of the game for us is, okay, well, how do you make smart decisions with that information? And as, as Arsra says, it all depends on your goal.
2: If you want, like with the car analogy, if you want to get to your your, your destination as fast as possible and you don't care how much gas it burns, you know, whatever. But if you, you know, if you're really if you're trying to be one of those hyper milers, then yeah, you might want to slow it down a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to frame it and to think about it. And um, if customers wanted to or potential customers wanted to reach out to you, where where can they find you guys?
1: So we, we publish a number to call in at, and then they can email us at hosting at distributed h a dot uh, and that's that's kind of the easiest way. If you you'll find those uh, those connection points on our website, which is distributed ha dot So just distributed hash, but we are being slick and put the dot at the uh, at the dot sh, uh, which incidentally is a lot cheaper than buying a dot com. <laughs> but we'll just pretend we're doing it for uh, for brand awareness and opsec, right?
2: But we 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 have, and we have and our our um our email is all currently run on Proton Mail, so if you uh, get your own throwaway Proton Mail, then that'll all be E two E and you know and then encrypted. Uh, so yeah, people should consider that.
0: Awesome. Well, we've we've just hit like a little bit past the one hour mark uh, as far as the recording goes. So you know I want to be respectful of viewers' time and. And, um, you know, I think, I think maybe right there is a good place to close it out. Are there, are there any closing thoughts you guys have any, any tips or tricks you want to advise anybody or any, you know, parting words to encourage well, them to look at distributed hash?
2: Since you're wearing a beef initiative hat, I wanted to, uh, uh, to reference one of the things that, uh, that the beef initiative, uh, states, and that is, you know, shake your rancher's hand. Well, you know. When you're hosting you you should shake your hosts hand too you know uh, small hosts uh, not just us but all of the other small hosts are doing a service in that we are keeping it distributed we are keeping it so that there aren't um, you know, these large concentrations of hash and uh, that is something that some plebs should definitely consider. Uh, if you're not hashing with us you know at least look at other small hosts also because that's that's how the network stays. Uh, resilient to uh, these kinds of attacks.
0: Very well said.
1: Yeah, and I know I've said it like seven times, but I'll reiterate it too. Um, don't make it easy. Get, get smarter. If you're going to do this, if you're going to go down this path, and you're going to put in the work, and you're going to put your your hard-earned uh, either fiat or, or Bitcoin on the line to start to mine and set up an operation like this, um, don't come in with the mindset that you want it to be easy. You don't want it to be easy. You, Because then it's not competitive. Anyone can do it. Uh, and you're going to arbitrage out any sort of benefits you might actually get. So it's not easy. Don't come in with the mindset that Bitcoin mining should or will be easy ever. Come in with the mindset that this is something to learn just like anything else, that you can get good at it. And based on what your goals are, you can achieve those goals if you set up your operation in the proper kind of way
0: also very well said and you know i think that's true you know don't don't get caught up in this mindset that you're gonna try and chase down some passive income because that's not what mining is about bitcoin mining is not a get rich quick scheme sometimes we get lucky and 50 percent of the network hash rate goes offline like right after a large run up in price but you know those are those moments are very few and far between and for the most part like any miner that's been in this long enough knows that they're operating on a pretty thin margin overall and and that's kind of the way it's supposed to be and it it keeps coming back down to that so yeah well cool i think with that we'll wrap up the show so thank you guys we got bikes in bitcoin and we've got Arcerus. so i'll put both of your twitter profiles in the show notes and i appreciate you guys coming on the show
1: Cool. Thank you so much,
2: Akano. Cheers, thank you.
0: Thanks for watching. That's all I've got for the show. Be sure to check out our sponsor, Upstream Data, at shop.upstreamdata.ca for all your Bitcoin mining needs of any scale.